Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast to help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. My first cousin, Josh Klein, joins the podcast this week for episode 200 of the podcast. And this is a very special and important episode as Josh and I dive into what's happening in Israel. We talk about what's happened to the American institutions and we discuss Judaism and Jew hatred. But in other news, this podcast is brought to you by Amare. Amare is the mental wellness company and I use their products every single day. So click a link in the show notes, scroll through all of their products and see which ones might work best for you and your wellness needs. And then at checkout, use code everybody for $10 off your entire order. Now on to episode 200 with Josh Klein. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashvitz. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, this is going to be a very important episode. Um, if you're a listener to the podcast, you know that I recently did an episode about what's happening in Israel, and Josh is my first cousin, obviously also <laughs> Jewish, I guess that goes without saying, um, <laughs> and his sisters, who I spoke about on the previous episode currently still in Israel, so we're going to get into all of that, uh, how they're doing, some personal accounts, his take on everything. But my first question, Josh, most important question is, how are you doing? How are you holding up? And um, how are your sisters feeling? Um, I am I'm not doing great, to be completely honest. I think uh, it's just it's really hard with this issue um, on, on two different, I guess, accounts. Um, one, the, I guess, most importantly, the pain you feel for, you know, obviously the families that are in Israel that have been part of these attacks and have lost loved ones or have individuals from their family that are captured, you, you feel for them because, um, as a Jew who has a lot of, you know, connections to the land, who's been to Israel multiple times and in, in general, you know, Jewish geography, we're a very small community and everyone knows someone who's been impacted. So just from an outside outsider's perspective, looking in, seeing these people that I know or know of, or have heard of, or maybe even went to camp with, or uh, have been to certain communities that have been hurt, feeling for them has been really, really hard um, for sure. And then on a different front, just from a personal standpoint, you know, I feel like, obviously I, I say this from the comfort of my own home in America, but I feel like I've been attacked and my values have been attacked. And it's just been really, really hard to see so many people uh, put out so many messages of hate and not support. Uh, there's been great support, but a lot, a lot of, I guess, um, just anti-Israel comments, anti-Jewish comments, and it feels personal and it's really, really hard. Um, and it's definitely consuming my thoughts every single day and every single moment. And then on top of that, like you mentioned, I, I have family in Israel. Both, um, both my sisters live there, Ilana and Josh Charnoff live um, in Tel Aviv, and Jesse and Tal Lovadia, my other sister and brother-in-law, live in Jerusalem. I was just there during the attacks um, for the holiday of Sukkot, which was um, just about you know 15 days ago, right at the tail end of Sukkot is when they did the attack on October 7th. And my parents are, are there. My mom is actually traveling back right now 
uh, but my dad is still there hoping to volunteer in the hospital if he can. He's a doctor. Um, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm nervous for them for sure. What is, what is what's their morale like? Um, I know it's, it's hard to sort of tell. Maybe they're used to it for now. Maybe what are they, what are they feeling? What's their sense? Um, I, I think you know, I can't obviously speak for them, but just through conversations with them and you know, what we shared of our experiences, there's this massive sense of unity amongst the people of Israel um, and the greater Jewish community, just getting behind anyone you can to um, show your support, whether that's through social media, peaceful protests, or even just volunteering. You know, there's been a tremendous amount of um, food drives in Israel, caring for those that maybe have a husband that's fighting in the war and maybe there's some babysitting help. Um, so they, they've been really participating in that on, on just on the, in the Israel front. So the morale is positive in the sense that once you see the Jewish unity, you see the, the help and the just outpouring of love and kindness that you feel that, oh, we can beat this. We can beat some of the hatred. We can beat Hamas and we could grow beyond this, God willing. But it's also a sense of fear. And I think it's, it's just trying to run as fast as you can without having to think twice a little bit and just don't think about the sadness as much because there's, there's more to do. There's, there's more people to help. There are people out there that are struggling more than, than you might be struggling. And I think, you know, Jesse and Ilana both, both feel that, and of course their families, my parents just feel that sense of unity and just pushing ahead. Um, but they're scared. They're really scared. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine, to be honest, the only thing that comes close for me is sort of trying to wrap my head around, you know, being in the midst of all of that is when I visited uh, Israel in 2018 and I stayed at their house and the room that I slept in was the, the, the bomb shelter room. Mm -hmm. And just having to think of myself when I went to bed that night, like, oh, this is where people have to go if rockets are fired trying to kill innocent people. Like, you live in America, you never think about that, ever. Like, even never. on the worst things that have ever happened in America, let's say, like, Pearl Harbor, 9-11, it didn't even come close to sort of the, the just the, the sheer atrocity of what happened on October 7th. So it's, like, tough to wrap even a small thing around it, like, thinking about what people have to do, how they have to protect their family, who's going to get called to fight like who they're missing. Um, and so just for like a person in America, I think sometimes, or I just think anyone who's not directly involved in the actual thing, we feel sort of helpless in sort of these situations because there's so much that's out of our control. We don't control the government, the military, the people. We don't control any of that. But I think in, in this certain circumstance, there is a lot that we can do, especially as American Jews, which is, you know, partly what you said, right? You know, coming together, you know, sharing stuff, um, squashing some of these myths, like trying to talk about Jewish pride and why it's so cool and why it's so amazing and, and where all these sort of weird, uh, disgusting things about Jew hatred came from and why are they so prevalent right now. And, and so there, there is work to be done. So a lot of times when sort of these world catastrophes happen, people who aren't directly involved feel helpless. Yeah, I can give money. Yeah, I can donate. But I think that's different now because as Jewish people, um, there's, there are people out there who are trying to erase us from the planet. And if we don't want that to happen, then our job is to 
speak about it, talk about it, celebrate it, um, sing about it, dance about it. I know these aren't happy times, but that's just sort of the the emotion that you can bring when you when you're in America and you want to celebrate just people fighting for our lives. And I think that's an important note to make, or at least that's what I'm thinking about uh, sort of over the last couple of weeks as I just scroll on Twitter way too much, more than I ever have in my entire life. But I, I feel like I need to be updated. I need to know what's happening so I can make, uh, so I can talk about it <laughs> because that's, you know, what I do. Yeah. So um, that's what I have to say about that for now. Yeah, I think it's it's really hard. And I, I was thinking about this a lot. Um, and I think you can probably provide a lot of insight into this is there's this sense of, you know, helplessness that just in any issue outside of, you know, Judaism in Israel, whenever there's a global issue that, you know, you want to, you want to fix or you want to uh, contribute to in some capacity, there's such a sense of helplessness when you realize I'm just, you know, one out of 8 billion people in this world that how am I going to make a difference? How am I going to, to, to help people perceive Jews as, as good people, as a kind people? How am I someone that's going to contribute to the ultimate peace of the world and happiness and freedom of religion and, and all these big macro concepts? What am I going to do to really help that? And I, I feel, and this is the sense of what I'm really struggling with is I, I go on Twitter also and I'm spending, you know, hours on it, just nonstop updating and, and, even it's, it's really called just doom scrolling. You're just looking at that next, you know, horrific interview, horrific video. And, and that one piece of information that you knew was always out there, but you have to, you have to see it, or you have to, to, to see it, to believe it, even though, even though you see it, you still don't believe it. Um, it's just a sense of, you know, what can I do to really make an impact? So I, maybe I, I could comment on someone's article and say, Oh, Hey, actually that's not true. Maybe sway your opinion a little bit. Um, you know, a little bit to the right or to the little, little left or encourage someone to maybe do a little bit more research. But it's very hard because I, it doesn't make its, its mark. And that, that's what it's, it really has been, been hard for me is, is me commenting on an article or, or trying to uh, push away some of the Jewish hate that I see on Twitter or the anti-Israel hate. Is that really going to make a difference? And, and it's scary to think about. I'm just a, you know, a small guy and in a blip of time and, and, and that's it. And, I struggle with that a lot. Well, it is going to make a difference because there is a, a compounding effect and a domino effect of everything. How do, how does one small piece of information now consume so many, let's say, American institutions, right? It started as one person talking about it however long ago. I don't know how it got infiltrated. That's way past my scope of you know knowledge but it is it's infiltrated these institutions and these elite places and now everyone thinks the same way it's the same way in, in a sort of a positive way if you don't say that thing that person never has a chance to ever see a different point of view that could potentially lead them down a string of videos that might show them a different viewpoint a different light uh, a more positive thing like anything like that so yeah you can seem like you're you know uh you know, talking into a void or into a vacuum or what you're doing is meaningless because it feels that way because it doesn't have this like tangible grasp, like optimal grip that like, yes, it's you're doing the right thing, but you intrinsically know that you're doing the right thing and it does have sort of a positive effect. But I mean, that's also goes to the point of like why you want to sort of 
take care of yourself a little bit so you can have a clearer mind so you can think about these things a little more rationally but it's it's hard when emotions are really high people you know are dying jews are being attacked like it's yeah you know your family is like in the battle right per se like right where all the things are happening they're not fighting but you get my point um so it's tough but i would say it is it is it is helping you know uh, same for this conversation you know one million people are not going to hear this but enough will hear it that maybe someone listens to it that doesn't have these views yet or hasn't heard this point of view that we're going to get into some of this stuff and I think that's important, uh, and I think that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. I do agree that I think that even if my efforts, whether it's you know hours commenting on people's posts on Twitter or this podcast or going to the rally, um, obviously when you have a rally of fifty thousand people, what is you know one extra person going to contribute to that? But I think if everyone has that mindset of of like you said, compounding, and if everyone believes that they're making an impact then all of a sudden a one person or two person rally turns into that 50,000 person rally that then sends a message to those that are fighting in Israel for the for the good causes. They can see the support they have over here and overseas in America. Or even if all this effort, um, you know, the hours of, of research and writing and podcasts, even if it changes just one person's mind, hopefully in college, that could then change someone else's mind and then it can continue being a large branch of um, redirecting misinformation into correct information, then that's, that is a victory. Uh, it's just hard, I guess, in the moment to think about that, that bigger scale, that bigger, just grander image. Um, but it is true. You have a good point. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to zoom out and see a bigger view when you're in the trenches and yeah, right now we're in the trenches, but we're doing the work anyways. So let's, um, let's talk about what you think uh, led to these attacks? Why now? Why October 7th? Um, do you have any ideas on that? Um, yeah, I think, I think it's important to, I guess, look at the, the ongoing conflict that I am by, you know, by no means any form of an expert to, to discuss the intricacies of, of the conflict, but just to look at it now in a vacuum to understand that there is this treasured piece of land that has been desired by almost all, you know, all religions or the three main ones, Christianity, uh, Islam, and, and Judaism. And there's always been a dispute for far longer than, you know, we've been alive. It goes back thousands upon thousands of years. And, you know, for, for better or for worse, you know, Hamas, which is the terrorist organization in the Gaza Strip that dictates Know, where the humanitarian aid goes in the Gaza Strip, what dictates the the type of of uh, reforms they might want to see in the Gaza Strip, and their prerogative is is to annihilate the Zionistic belief that Jews have a right or a you know a right to exist and a right to live freely in Israel, and because of that, whether or not you know they are justified for their claims, whether or not Israel is justified to be where they are. It doesn't really matter what the their motive is, but they they essentially made it their job to attack and send a message to the world and attack innocent civilians and kill them and rape them and murder them in absolutely brutal and horrifying ways because they believe that's right. And obviously whether or not, and this is where I think it's really, really challenging. And you mentioned what my sister Jesse had said about saying that, okay, Hamas is doing the wrong thing, but 
maybe it's justified because there's an ongoing conflict. Something that has motivated them to do this, whether or not that is a justified motivation, the actual actions that they're taking in killing innocent civilians and doing it in an absolutely horrific fashion is never justified. And they are using whatever conflict you believe, whether you're on, on the Israel side or maybe you're on the Gazan side or whatever the case is, they're using that as a justification for this horrible, horrible act. And, and that's really, I think, over time, what's, what's, what's led to that. But it's, I think, this mandate that they essentially just want to kill anyone, any Jew or even non-Jew. There are accounts of them killing Muslims that are, that are dwelling in that area, that were living there freely as, as Arab Israelis. They were just killing them because they have this mandate of, of they have to be set free. And now they want to, to essentially kill anyone that tries to stop them. So I think that's, that's really what, what kind of led to it. A, a long history of just constant conflict with this terroristic viewpoint of just wanting to annihilate. And I think you, so you asked also why on, on this day, October 7th, I think they, they specifically targeted the, the end of the Jewish holiday where they knew maybe Israeli guards would be down celebrating. It's the Jewish holiday of uh, Simchat Torah, where you're celebrating the you know, culmination of the reading of the Torah once a year, where you celebrate and you dance, you enjoy it with your family right at the end of the holiday of Sukkot, where we're also, it's a festive holiday where we're sitting in these, these huts to signify our excitement to, you know, to live freely under God's rule and to be with our family. And they specifically targeted that day. There was a reason why they did that day and not a random, you know, Tuesday in, in January. And it was, it was deliberate and they, they wanted to kill as many people as they could and, and just take advantage of it. Yeah. The, yeah. For some reason, like people are having a hard time, like morally understanding how different, th like these people are. Like, I, it's like there's never been a brighter line that's ever been drawn between good and evil. Never, ever, not not in uh, any of our lifetimes that people are existing today. This is what happened uh, pre-civilization. We're a civilized world, and we saw some barbarism. And yeah. again, I, I think the point is crucial that you're making is that regardless of how you feel about uh, the Israel-Palestinian conflict, yes, I think this is that's the underlying thing that people are talking about. But like your sister mentioned in her words, this is not a conflict. This was an act of terror. Those things are totally different, right? Before all this happened, the Israeli government was being protested by its own people. Um, and so like, there's that's that's why they have a democracy. No other country in the Middle East is has allowed that. You're not even allowed to say anything about your government ever. But in Israel, you can. And so that has a lot to do with the fact that a terrorist group, which doesn't have its which was voted in in like 2006 to run that that uh, strip of land, Palestinian people like they have no regard for their own people. And so why would they have any regard for the people that they're doctrined? to kill, which is in their charter, which is for everyone to read and understand, I, I, I just don't understand where the moral discrepancy is. Like, you can want a, a people that are free, but saying free Palestine when really you should say free Palestine from Hamas, because they are the ones yeah. that are terrorizing their own people. And so if words are supposed to matter, which they do obviously all the time, we have to choose them correctly. And being able to condemn a people that uh, behead babies. And if you're someone who then claims like, it wasn't 40 babies. Well, if it was fucking one, then it's fucking yeah. disgusting. 
And so if that's yeah. where you want to like throw your hands up in the air and be like, it wasn't 40, you're sick. You have an issue. So, yeah. and that's a problem. That's a problem that if you feel like if it wasn't 40, but it was 39, then like you, you have some internal work to figure out on your whole, on your own moral basis. And so if we can then be a, a, a people that can just say, that's, that's wrong. That's evil. That's disgusting. Let's do what we can to stop that, but also take care of the civilian people, which Israel is like the only, you know, defense force in the world that actually cares about, you know, c- civilian casualties more than even the great America, which, you know, doesn't as much. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of what's been bothering me the most. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. It's, it's so clear. It's so black and white that whatever, whatever type of dilemma you feel this is and whatever side you want to be on, this is a complete good versus evil. And Israel would never say whether it's happened in the past or, or what they would do in the future, they would never say it is acceptable to take prisoners and cut their head offs and burn them. They would, Hamas was smoking families out of bomb shelters, and they have no regard for their own civilians. Even Hamas militants, these terrorists, said themselves in recent footage that just came out that Israel put out of some of their interrogation that Hamas blames their leaders, those that are over in in Qatar and those in, in Iran and those that are sitting pretty in the West Bank. Wherever these people are, they are blaming their leaders for the destruction that's going on in, in Gaza because there's this sense of of uh, this mindset of absolute hatred towards Jewish people, towards Israel, that they're allocating all the resources that you know Israel is giving them. Israel is giving Gaza an, a, really an enemy state because of obviously all the rockets that have been constantly fired at them. They're giving an enemy state energy and water and, and a lot of other resources, they are not, you know, they, they are, are basically letting, it it's almost happens every day that they're just allowing rockets to be shot from Gaza without completely obliterating the Hamas leadership. Only now, after they were completely, you know, violated and had their own 9-11 in Israel, did they then decide to extremely, you know, radically, not really radically, but with full force, tackle the Hamas issue. But Israel has basically been letting... Gaza be governed by this terrorist organization infiltrating the minds of young Gazans, of young Palestinians to to believe this mandate of total destruction and annihilation of the Jewish people and of Israel. And it's 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 ridiculous that people are saying Israel is in the wrong here for defending themselves and for ridding the world of this this horrific evil. Not to mention you mean you mentioned that that the Hamas leadership, they, they don't care about their about their citizens. There have been numerous accounts of one, when Israel has told civilians in in Gaza to move south away from the line of fire, there have been accounts of explosions happening from Hamas attacking their own c- citizens to not go south, which is clearly, obviously, horrible and not nothing any government should do to their people. Not only that, many of the rockets that are firing are hitting their own civilians, as we saw with the, the hospital parking lot and the hospital wing, that was clearly a Hamas missile that is then firing at its own people. And there have now recently been accounts of humanitarian aid and fuel that is going into Gaza that Hamas is hoarding. Israel has shown drone footage of vats of fuel that Gaza is simply hoarding, and they're not allocating those resources to their people to potentially 
you know, reduce any risk, reduce any risk of, of damage, of death, and getting these hospitals fuel. They're not doing that. And it's it's crazy that people just don't see that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's basically three facts about Hamas that I think, uh, you know, if you don't know now, people should know, right? Hamas headquarters are located under hospitals, schools, places where it's heavily civilian-based. So that's important. Um, yeah. While the people of Gaza suffer from hunger and poverty, uh, Hamas has nearly a one billion dollar revenue. Okay, that's one with a B. That's with a B. Um, and then number three, I think, is important is that Hamas repeatedly uh, dismantles water pipes meant for civilians and repurposes them into rockets. So again, if we want to talk about the Gaza Strip being a thriving place. Uh, we have to talk about removing Hamas as leadership and allowing those people then to, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know a lot about you know, how to restructure a government, but again, hopefully you put some people in there who can lead them in a direction that can allow them to be free and have a democracy and run a new election and, and build the sustainable infrastructure they need to be a thriving society. So this idea of having this two-state solution is one that's, that's beautiful for everyone. But until you recognize that Hamas is the one destroying their own civilians and out to kill all Jews, then the conversation really ends there. Because then, what, what, like, what? How, I don't know what else to talk about. Because your your moral imbalance is so heavy that you have to do some internal reflection to figure out, you know, your good and evil and where you stand. And then the conversation then can move forward, um, which I think is 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 important. So. Um, and then, and then in the other regard, why do you think Israel always an, an only country to get criticized so heavily for defending itself? Like, I don't really know where that came from. Do you? Yeah. I mean, it, it's always been a disputed, a disputed territory. I mean, you could talk about where the origins of the, the Palestinian and Israeli conflict started, but essentially the, the question is, do you credit the the ownership of the land of Israel to you know ancient times, where it's it seems from you know history that Israel and the Jewish people were the ones who were living in the land of Israel, uh, basically essentially from the days of Abraham, and there have been accounts and archaeological findings and essentially proof that the Jewish people had had the land of Israel with the twelve tribes of of Jacob, and and essentially you do you rely on the fact that. Jews have, a, I guess, a, a birthright or, or a, a claim to the land? Or do you think maybe more in recent history, which is probably more in the late, uh, well, early to mid 1900s prior to the, you know, the essentially great exodus from Europe and after the World War II where Jews started coming in, that was more historically Arab run territories, but it was a British mandate. So I think this, the struggle is really who has access to this land. And, and what was frustrating is that when when essentially we the UN claimed that Israel has the right to to its own its own land the Jewish people have a right to its own land there were the the actual denominations of the land and where the, the boundaries the borders who owns what there was a two-state solution solution that was essentially offered to the Jewish people and the Arab nations and the Jewish people agreed to it it was really the Arab nations that said, no, we want it, we want it all. We don't agree to it, which really led to you know, later wars of uh, attacking and, and 
Now, luckily, uh, Israel was victorious and they claimed additional areas of their land. And, and over time, they, they claimed larger amounts of land in response to them agreeing to taking less land, but then the Arab countries kind of pushing back. And I think it's, it's just this constant struggle where Israel is actually on numerous accounts have given back land that they've claimed after a struggle from war where they were attacked and they've given it back. And yet still, there's still this, this mandate that Jews have absolutely no claim to the land and from the river to the sea, you know, Palestine will be free, which is really a genocidal comment. How, how do you want Palestine to be free from the river to the sea without essentially taking out all the Jews that live in, in those areas? And it's just really, really frustrating. I mean, talking about the times in which Israel has given back land, you know, the Sinai Peninsula, and even specifically in Gaza, where um, I guess it was at this point, I think it was 2004. So we're talking about almost 20 years ago that we essentially threw out almost 10,000 Jews that were living in Gush Katif area, which is really in Gaza. We threw them out and essentially said, okay, you can take Gaza as your Palestine. And it's, it's, it's really, really frustrating that there's this, this concept of from the river to the sea, you know, Israel is the, the Zionists are the really the Nazis and the, the Jews have no right to the land. And it's a genocidal chant because you're really saying Israel has no right to exist. The people of Palestine, which is really, you know, you're talking about Hamas because Hamas is the elected officials of Palestine, of Gaza. They should be free and, and essentially kill everyone. And that was really what, what was happening on October 7th. And that's why it's it's painful. And I guess we can kind of talk about how it turns into anti-Semitism. But you see that these people that are chanting free Palestine, free Palestine, you're basically saying that Israel really has no right to exist. And that's the direct reflection of the Jewish people's right to any form of existence. And that's really, really scary it is it's because this because uh, this thought that uh israel has done ethnic cleansing to the muslims is uh completely untrue because uh, i want to say in in like 1948 there were 700,000 uh muslims now there's like 7 million so yeah. Which is fantastic, beautiful. It's growing, great, wonderful. So the idea that Israel is ethnically cleansing them is like it's just it's it's an absurd claim. Um, but if you look at every other country in the Middle East outside of Israel, all Jewish numbers have dwindled. So where are the Jewish people supposed to go? Well, they're only really allowed and safe in Israel. Um, and America is becoming a bit different story about that. I'm sure we'll get to it. And so it's just interesting to to see how people have just sort of bought into this, let's say, Hamas propaganda about what Israel does. Um, and maybe it falls into this weird oppressor, uh, oppressed dynamic mentality that we've sort of adopted over the past couple years. Um, I think that plays a part into it, um, especially in American institutions. Uh, and so. It doesn't it doesn't make the actual conflict or the dispute over land or the civilian lives lost less complicated or less awful. But I just think too many people are conflating all of that history with what happened on October 7th. And it just can't be compared because nothing like that has ever happened ever before. And just to be able to simply look at that, condemn it 
say it's awful, say Hamas is awful, they need to be removed from power or uh, they need to be destroyed. And then the conversation about actually, you know, peace can happen. But to claim a ceasefire right after that, before Israel has even, you know, got even the hostages, because they still haven't, as we're having this conversation, I think there's still 190 people who are uh, hostage by Hamas. So, so ceasefire for what? To just leave those people to, to die? To never go back mm-hmm. home to their families? Like, I, I, a ceasefire would be giving back those civilian host- hostages immediately. Hamas putting down their weapons and saying we're not going to brutally murder anyone anymore. And maybe there's a conversation for peace there. But to, to have that before innocent people are given back and uh, you're parading you know, raped women in the streets, like, uh, what? It's like, so it just doesn't make sense to me. It's just, I, I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's I, I think what's, what's even crazy is as, as some of the, the mainstream media sources, and I you know there have been, and I, I don't want to be all doom and gloom here, but there, there have been, you know, good media outlets that have been depicting the story accurately, accurately, unbiased, in an unbiased fashion, which I'm you know, very proud of and happy that that's going on. But what's, what's insane is that there's just this sense of, of ignoring the, this, the whole scenario. And, and it was the Babylon Bee, which is a satire article, literally came out and said, imagine if the leader of the Japanese people during World War II bombed Pearl Harbor, and then immediately once they did that, said it's a ceasefire. Who, who in their right mind would tell America, no, you can't fight back? After, okay, I just punched you in the face. No, 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 we're even, we're even, ceasefire. That's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Let alone, of course, what you're saying that there, I think I think it's more than 190. I think there's over 220 hostages, confirmed hostages that are in Gaza right now. In what world would any nation allow their citizens to get butchered in broad daylight, videotaped and mask and, and, and paraded in the streets amongst the citizens of of that nation and not fight back. Is that how, how ridiculous could that be? Uh, and it's crazy that there are actually seemingly intellectual people out there on Twitter, whether it's people in, in Hollywood that are coming out, there was just a petition that was going around demanding a ceasefire, or whether it's people in, in business or at colleges. These are people that should be smart, but they're saying no Let's just let a terrorist organization butcher almost 1,500 of your own citizens, which, by the way, would be equivalent to probably 40,000 Americans had it been America, if you if you alter the amount relative to the size of the actual nation, and just let it happen. It's crazy. Not only that, by the way, Hamas is still shooting rockets into central Israel. Our, you know, Your cousin, my sister, Ilana, literally just went into a bomb shelter. She's in Tel Aviv. She was just in the bomb shelter because there is a continuous fire of rockets, despite, you know, Israel telling them, you know, put your weapons down, return the hostages, and then we can talk about negotiations, ceasefires, figuring out what to do. But it's, it's just, it's remarkable that there's just this sense of, of Israel constantly needs to prove itself that they're doing the right thing. And constantly, despite there's footage of the horrific acts that are going on, and there's, there's clear proof that Israel is doing the right thing by warning civilians. They send Every time they shoot down a, a Hamas um, location, which unfortunately oftentimes, like you mentioned, is in hospitals or nearby schools, every time they shoot down those outposts, they shoot a flare first to ensure that everyone is getting out of those buildings. 
that they could actually destroy the infrastructure and cripple the infrastructure of Hamas without having to, to damage any, any civilians. And even recently, the, the spokesperson of the IDF had mentioned, because there was a little bit of criticism that one of the churches in Gaza was destroyed. The IDF absolutely apologized. They said, it is, it's horrific when there's casualties in war. But they went out of their way specifically to admit that they were wrong and have to be a little bit more, even more careful than they already are being to not shoot down uh, Hamas military outposts and be extra careful to, of course, not hit civilian territories, not hit sacred churches or sacred mosques that are not, of course, responsible for what's going on. Um, and it's just frustrating. It's really and it's scary. And it's it has to do with, I think, this innate culture of of feeling that just because Israel is the stronger force here, that they don't have the right to do what they're doing, or they don't have the right to defend themselves because of this anti-Israel and, and I think, you know, of course, anti-Jewish belief that the world still believes in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> I had a train of thought. I don't know where it went. Hmm. Tough. <laughs> Um, that happens. Wow. Um, I guess that I mean I, me. I do want to talk about, but I'm sure you have. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I I just think that I want to know how you feel in you know in Texas, which is obviously maybe not you know not as blatantly of a Jewish community as you know where I am in New York, being I guess the I guess is probably the the most populated Jewish state in in America, New York, New Jersey. How do you feel um, just from what you see in the streets, from what you see in maybe social circles? Um, how does that compare in a, in a, compare to what I guess what I see? I haven't seen like in terrible. in person, I haven't seen much. I think there was like maybe one or two rallies in Dallas pro-Palestine, um, but I didn't see much about it. I just recently saw a school in Plano where I live. Um, they have a Muslim group and, and they were chanting from the river to the sea, all of that stuff. Um, but mostly what I see, you know, is on Twitter with these American institutions, uh, some stuff in London, because, you know, that's where my fiance is from. So her her brothers have been talking to her about how bad it's getting out there and some of how the, the Jewish schools in their area have to be shut down because of security issues, because London is um, has a lot of immigrants um, because, you know, that's what they chose to do. Um, and it, it's also heavily populated with Jews, especially in uh, where she's from. Um, and so that's been scary. Um, I mean, I know now that the Chabad and the synagogue that I go to regularly, there's a security guard there basically 24-7 if anyone's there. Um, it wasn't like that, you know, previous. Um, we did have a shooting at a synagogue maybe a year ago. Um, in close to Dallas. Uh, so since then, like security sort of gotten heavier uh, in certain areas. Um, so that's always interesting to go to a place of worship uh, and community and see a person with a gun outside. Um, you know, uh, so things like that are, uh, are interesting. But I, I'm, I've been trying to wrap my brain around figuring out why people don't like Jews and like what's the what's really the the issue and i think uh it's like based on this idea that we're a minority group we're a very small group of people but we uh have become successful in, in, in people's eyes right 
successful than say other I don't know other minority groups or I don't I don't really know but I think that's what people think. And so people wonder how a group this small can become the successful so it must be that they're in power and they take over everything and they're in charge of all this shit. And so they must be put in the bucket of oppressor even though there was the Holocaust and 6 million died and they've been hunted and persecuted their whole life, they still have this sort of underlying privilege. So they have to be put into the oppressor category. They have to be. And so if they're going head to head with anyone, that means they're the oppressor and everyone else is the oppressed. And we're in a culture where we're always on the side of the oppressed with this sort of victim mentality. And that means Jews are bad. It's sort of like the extended version of of white privilege, and they need to be, I'm good with free Palestine. I think like that's sort of what I've come up with reading articles and things like that. I don't know if it makes any sense or what your take on it is, but. Yeah, I, I it it's like a, just the, the nature, like uh, kind of the, the nature of how the world works for however long the world has existed and forever however long it's going to exist, there will always be hatred for the Jews. And like you mentioned, I think, you know, we're, we're a minority that has, thankfully, because of maybe the culture, the community, the, maybe because we're, we, you know, we help each other, maybe more so than another community, just because we, by the nature of our religion, we live in very close quarters to each other, um, whether it's, you know, maybe living close to a synagogue because we go there regularly or maybe kosher food or just the idea of having family around a, a Shabbat table or whatever the case is. Uh, there's just maybe an emphasis on on family and helping out the community. Um, and I think maybe that's contributed to a lot of the Jewish success. And and I, I think it's great. But I think perhaps, as you mentioned, maybe that's the reason why there's this um, innate belief that the Jews run the world. They run Hollywood, run the sports industry, run business, run the government, which is obviously a lie. Um, and, and there's just going to be no matter what, hate towards Jews will always manifest itself in any generation, but it'll, it'll, sh it'll show its face in different, in different capacities. And I, I think what's the craziest part about all of this is that you, and, and a lot of people on Twitter have been using, I guess, this hashtag of, you know, never again, which was the typical um, Holocaust hashtag, I guess, or slogan, and they're saying never again is now, where people are saying, we always said, we should stand up to hatred, we should stand up to anti-Semitism. But here we are right now, where there's blatant anti-Semitism, and there's hatred. Um, and it's time to stand up. And I think I found it really uh, amazing what Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, um, someone, you know, who's, who's, he was in the police force, He's in the in the black community, and he got up there at the um, at the rally for pre, for pro Israel, and there was probably you know thirty thousand Jews there and pro Israeli people, and he said it's it's obviously Martin Luther King had mentioned that you always have to um, if if you're gonna be if you're gonna be silent, it's that it sometimes speaks louder than those that are maybe oppose you, and and I paraphrase that, but Eric Adams was saying that we as the Jews we stood by the black community during a lot of that oppression. It is an anti-Jewish belief to believe anyone is inferior to, to us. That is an absolutely anti-Jewish belief. We believe that everyone is created in the image of God, whether you're Jewish, whether you're non-Jewish. And we stood by a lot of the black community and we marched alongside them 
um, in solidarity for that oppression. And now what Eric Adams said, he's, he's marching, you know, right next to us. And I thought that was very impactful. Um, and it, it just, if you, if you step out just a little bit and look at a bird's eye view, why is it that when something goes on in Israel, all of a sudden, the amount of anti-Semitic attacks, the amount of hate crimes have gone up, not hundreds of percents, but thousands of a percent more than what they were prior to this attack. Why is it okay to always say, okay, when there's a terrorist attack, oh, it must have been because of, you know, so-and-so, whether it's because of the Hamas or the, the Palestinian-Israel conflict. When has that ever been okay in any terrorist attack? No one ever said when there was the you know shooting in a random city, um, if it was a random minority, or if it was um, the, the shooting in in um, against a lot of the the gay community that happened. I think it was in Florida a bunch of years ago. And no one said, "Oh, it's because so and so," or it's because of this you know black community or this uh, you know gay person or this Jew or this Muslim, this Christian, this Asian. No one says that. They always they 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 never quantify or qualify an act of terror. But for some reason, when it happens to the Jews, there are so many people that are coming up with an excuse of why it should happen. And I don't know why. I think it's really, you can you can come up with different examples, but I really think it's just, there's this innate sense of, of hate towards Judaism that is really going to exist, unfortunately, in every generation, but it's just going to manifest itself. This has been happening for 3000 years. I mean, we read on, on, um, on Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, which is the commemorates the destruction, the day of the destruction of the Jewish temple, which is a day of, of fasting, of introspection, of reflection. We read these essentially these poems and these stories of all the different times in history, starting from the destruction of the temple to modern day, you know, Holocaust. We read about the pogroms, we read about the crusades, we read about all of these instances over thousands of years of hatred towards Jewish people just manifesting itself in different ways. And you think as, as a someone living in the, you know, the 20th, 21st century, this would never happen. It could never happen again in the modern day of social media living in, in 2023. But here you are seeing it broadcasted to everyone. And it's a modern day pogrom. These people literally with a mandate to kill anyone and they succeeded and it's horrible. There was just recently a, a recording from one of the Hamas terrorists that said that he, he killed a bunch of Jews on, on October 7th, and he took one of the phones of the Jewish people, and he called his dad, and he said, now, dad, look at me, I've killed 10 Jews with my own hands. And that's, that's a modern-day crusade that is literally happening, and everyone is looking at it, and yet here they are ripping down the posters of the kidnapped children across London or across college campuses. Here they are chanting basically from, you know, from the river to the sea, let's annihilate the Jews and let's kill all the Jews and the Zionists. I, I, I don't get it. And it's scary. It's really, really scary as, as a Jew, you know, trying to raise a family in this, in this world and trying to instill good values to, to see this, to this, see this baseless hatred. Yeah. I've seen yeah. a lot of tweets that come up saying like, I read about the Holocaust. I always wondered how people got away with it. And back then they were being very secretive about it. And then people think, well, we can never let that happen again, like you're saying. And now it's in broad daylight on your phones, on TikTok, everywhere where you can see, and we're still allowing people to, uh, you know, 
basically hate Jews uh, and saying that they deserve it and or we deserve it, excuse me. And so you can then you think about I think, well, at least it leads me to think about like my morality and am I a good person? Because I always think about that because based on some some of the work I do, occasionally people tell me that I'm a good person and I just don't know if that's like true or not because like being a good person is really hard but it's not that hard in like everyday life where things are pretty great but then i i picture myself in the holocaust situation would i have been able to do some of these things that we read about the great stories like would i have been able to survive or would i have just rolled over would i have lied would i have just tried what would i have done in sort of the the hardest moments of my life. And then I picture myself in today's society thinking about whether I should do podcast episodes just like this. What what would I do? Would I speak up? Would I say something? I don't think it makes me a good person. I, I don't know. That's hard to talk about. But I think at least we have to find some moral clarity to be able to tell what's right from wrong. And when things like this happen that are so in our face and people tell you who they are, we have to believe them. And it's unfortunate to see so many people with this deep-seated, almost unconscious hatred for Jewish people because they feel like, yeah, I don't know what they feel like. I, I wish I could figure that out, but I, Think like you think about all these things in history, like what would you do? Would you have stood up for something? And um, I don't know how to wrap this part up, but maybe just by saying that I think I'm proud of us for at least trying to have this conversation in whatever sophisticated or unsophisticated manner that we're doing it in, because uh, it's important when we talk about to our kids, you know, whatever, whenever God willing that we have them. Um, you know, we can say that we did something or we tried to do something to stand up for our people um, while they were trying to get exterminated from the earth. Um, and that's not mm -hmm. an exaggeration. I don't know. That makes me feel sick to my stomach even having to say that. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So where where do you think it went wrong in, um, I guess, let's let's focus more on the most impressionable people, which I think are those that are in high school, you mentioned, you know, a school nearby you that had a lot of um, really challenging remarks and chants against Israel or against the Jewish people. Of course, they're all over Twitter, the, the, some of the elite colleges out there, Harvard, Columbia are not standing up for what I believe to be right. And obviously I think any good person should denounce what, what Hamas has been doing. Where, where has it gone wrong? Why, why is it that those people that are, chanting in the name of quote unquote freedom freedom fighters or in in the in the name of the oppressed are so open and excited to outwardly bash israel and and speak with such slander and hate towards the jewish people where where did we go wrong as a society and and how do we we fix that i i, I don't know what do you what do you think about that that's the that's the question i mean that's the yeah I, I i i was reading this article about this woman who was the head of 
the DEI department at maybe a, a university. I forgot maybe which university. And the idea of diversity, inclusion, and equity is, is an awesome idea. Of course, there should be diversity. I think diversity of thought is the most important thing, right? Because that's what really what attracts different opinions and different ideas is diversity of thought. It doesn't matter really what you look like because you're going to have difference of opinion and thought if you come from different backgrounds. Like just the way even you and I grew up differently, right? We're first cousins. Our mom and dad are your mom, my dad, siblings, right? But we still grew up very differently. There's still diversity of thought, right? Of course, we, we lean on some same ideas, but there's still diversity of thought. That's what makes it brilliant. And so someone from even a more different background will have even more diverse opinions about that. So I think that's really what diversity is. Because um, people have more in common, like with how they look and all that stuff than the way they think. And so I think that's where it went wrong. We were more uh, worried about, you know, uh, uh, filling a quota of a certain person rather than um, analyzing how they thought and how they viewed the world and their perceptions. Like those are the really important things. Those are the cool things about someone. I don't, I don't care what you look like. I don't care who you sleep with. I think you should sleep with whoever you want. That's fucking awesome. But the way you think about the world is important. That's what really brings something to the table. So I think that's was important. Inclusion, yeah. But like inclusion to an extent because I played elite sports and not everyone's fucking included, man. If you don't make the team, you don't get included. Like it's just how it is. Now in other stuff, like just things that aren't based on sort of like merit or excellence, or there's not a, a hierarchy of values or a hierarchy of who's better than other people, like even in the plumbing industry, like I'm hiring the best plumber. That's just what it is. He gets the job. I'm not including the guy who just started yesterday to fix my leak because my fucking toilet blew up. That's just not going to work. So inclusion also has to have bounds. Like that's what makes it, that's what makes the community you're in important, right? Being a Jewish person, we're Jewish based on our mom and based on our soul and based on how we grew up. Like, so not everyone is Jewish. If you want to become Jewish, you want to be included in that tribe, you have to go through a lot of different things. You have to convert to that religion. You have to go through a process. If you want to be included on the best sports team in the world, you have to be fucking good at sports. And so I think the inclusion idea is also really important. People should be invited to the table to have conversations with their diverse opinions, but not every room is for everyone. That doesn't make sense, right? Because a lot of things, we're, we're losing this idea of things that are based on merit and earning them, and there is a hierarchy. If there's no hierarchy, that means everything is the same. That means nothing is valuable. And so I think that also was an issue. And then, you know, this equality of outcome uh, is, is the same thing as not having a hierarchy, right? We should have... We should, we should strive for equality uh, of opportunity or, equ or whatever that is, right? Everyone should have the appropriate opportunity to put in the right work. I understand there's an underlying thing there of like economic structures and things like that that play into it, socioeconomic status, like all of that plays into the opportunities that you get. And I think that is something that we can definitely sort out because that's very important that everyone should have their sort of basic needs met and people should be able to eat and have shelter and all that great stuff. And then they can have the opportunity to work hard just like anyone else to achieve whatever they want. But they have to be able to have those opportunities. But giving everyone the same outcome is means that nothing – if everyone got a Division One scholarship to play baseball, mine would be mean nothing. If everyone got to go to the same university that went to you or you have the same job, then what would it, be, what would it mean? What would it mean? It wouldn't mean anything. Like humans – our lives are based on meaning and purpose. And 
we're so lonely and sad and depressed right now because we're void of that meaning. There is a meaning crisis happening in the world. And to then say, uh, everyone gets the same thing. There's no hierarchy. All hierarchies are bad. Yes, of course, there's some hierarchies that are bad and powerful and tyrannical and that overthrow people based on creed. But what about the good ones? What about the things that are based on merit and value? And so I think those words, diversity, equity, inclusion, are really important. But the toxic form of that, even though I don't like to use that word because everyone says it all the time. But anyways, the toxic form of that is not good. And it's rooted, according to this woman who was a DEI instructor, is rooted in anti-Semitic beliefs. And so if this DEI thing, which has infiltrated all of our institutions um, for, for the last three years, if that's what our, our people are learning, then all of those beliefs are rooted in anti-Semitism based on the idea that Jewish people are the oppressors. And so we don't like, you know, include everyone except for Jews, whites, and Asians, basically, right? That's what, that's the underlying issue. And I have a lot of friends, some very smart friends who do DEI work, but they try to do it in a way that is not this toxic version to try this way. I, like, why I learned any of this stuff by talking about them, by talking about this sort of diversity of thought, you know, inclusion, but having some sort of boundaries. Still, things are based on merit and value, and there's a hierarchy um, and um, equality of opportunity and things like that. That that stuff is great, but those words for some people have lost so much value because they've been shoved down people's throats so much that it just is turned off the idea of anyone comes into the office wanting to talk about these things. And so it just sets people off regardless. And so even if the information is extremely valuable and there can be stuff that can be learned, you're not going to be able to get any of it because these people are turned off because it's been it's been thrown in the wrong direction. It's been it's been mishandled to mean something else that it isn't. And I think that maybe could be a symptom of the problem that is definitely surfacing right now with some of these institutions and some of the big donors saying they're not going to give their money anymore because they've finally realized what's happening and what they're being taught and how how much hatred there is for a group of people who are just trying to survive. Um, and so maybe that's one. I mean, uh, I don't know if that's well said, but I, that's what I think. Oh, you you said it phenomenally well, and it's a it's a great point. It's almost like this sense of of overcorrecting that we're we're seeing in, in any issue that that happens. There's always there are there are problems, and then there are solutions. But I think there's this abundance of sensitivity, which is good. Sensitivity is a good thing. It's a good emotion. It's a good trait. It's a good characteristic to use. But I think like you're mentioning this overcorrection of then automatically assuming. Maybe those that are in a, in a higher position because of their merits, because of their values, their skills, their hard work, we then start shunning them. And that has turned, I think, and exactly uh, what we're seeing on college campuses has turned into the sense of let's now say Jews don't have the right to exist because although they are a minority, they might be in higher positions in, in specific businesses or, or specific uh, um, positions in government. And all of a sudden we start shunning those that have maybe worked hard and maybe have given opportunities and have taken those opportunities and succeeded with them because we've almost overcorrected on the uh, diversity and inclusion and, and all of that. But overall, of course, I believe in, like you're saying, it's a great perspective, diversity of ideas, but that, that is also, you know, diversity of cultures. And, and even though you, you, the goal is to get the diversity of ideas, it generally um, 
it generally presents itself in diversity of cultures, whether that's bringing more women involved in the, in the workforce and, and bringing people of color and, and different backgrounds. Of course, it's going to bring about positive outcomes and, and positive results for everything in society and education and, and business. So it's always a positive um, attribute. But this over this over uh, correction to then shun people that have the right to be you know, where they are and want to just survive it's it's really it's it's apparent and i think that the biggest uh sense of pride that that have come from this because there have really been there have been a lot of people that have been outspoken supporters of jews in israel and there of course have been an equal if not more people that have probably been against israel and and uh the jews but those that have been supportive that are saying that those that are going to these rallies these these whether it's high school or college or adults that are going to these rallies and and Peaceful protests are always a, a, a positive thing for society. But those that are saying uh, maybe pulling down the images of kidnapped uh, children from the walls or those that are saying at the rallies, you know, gas the Jews or or, uh, oh, these are they're just like the Nazis. And and now you have these people in, in power, people in businesses that are holding these individuals responsible for their actions. I think is a tremendous outcome to what we're seeing. Um, there's this there's this uh, Twitter handle that I follow. Uh, it's called Stop Anti-Semitism, and basically their sole purpose is to, is to hold these people accountable for their blatant anti-Semitism. So they they'll they'll essentially say, okay, this individual um, was going out and saying gas the Jews and tearing down um, posters of kidnapped children, and they'll show them they'll show their video of them doing this, and they'll look to essentially tell their employer tell the school to not accept this behavior. And, and that typically will go into maybe firing them. It will say, uh, maybe you should not choose their, their business or not go to their office if you're looking for a doctor. And I think this whole idea is what uh, Bill Ackman, who is a, a very successful businessman, was saying those, those students that were on the petition signed by Harvard and a lot of other groups within these elite colleges that were saying basically that Israel is the one responsible for the terrorist attack that happened to them. He said he made it his personal mission to ensure that these people were out in the open, that you can't hide behind the group title and sign on to something and not know what you're getting yourself into. You can't go to these rallies and say these slurs and not understand and and expect that your actions are going to have consequences. And I, I'm very proud of these people that are going out of their way specifically to say, listen, you know, high school students or college students or regular people in society, you're going to get fired because you're spreading hate. And that's not what we do in our society. That's not what we should encourage in our society. And by being silent is accepting it. And to go out of our way to ensure that these people um, face, face the, the consequences, I think, is a really important um, just thing that we're seeing from this event. And I, and I hope it continues. I mean, I hope that obviously the hate speech goes down and, and rids itself from our society and all cultures. But I think those that are promoting this hate speech, they get the punishments that, that they deserve and, and they, and the world should know about it. Our society has been society void of a responsibility for a little bit, especially personal responsibility, yeah. taking ownership of who we are, our choices and our actions. And I do believe that the high school and college kids that are talking about the things they're talking about and going to the rallies they're going to um, won't be these people forever. Like you can be brainwashed in a certain time because one, I think 
like young people just want to feel like they belong. And right now it's really cool to uh, fight the oppressed. That's like, that's the cool thing to do. And so people want to feel like they belong. And so I don't know how many people actually believe that they want to gas the Jews and kill all this stuff. It's, it's more than it needs to be hundred percent because like 50,000 people are attending these things. But I think once people find out that they have to take responsibility for their life, their choices and the direction they want to go, they can then actually sit and reflect on the person they want to be. Okay, there is consequences to action. There is mm-hmm. things that I have to take responsibility for. I can't just say things and sign things that I don't know what it's for and what it might do for the rest of my life. I have to think about the first order and second thinking. I have to think about the downstream effects. I have to think about all of these things. And based on all of that reflection, do you really actually still want to remove Jews from the earth? Is that really your belief? I hope not. Probably not. If you're a, a, just a decent person who wants to live the best life they can, great. But you have to be put through this thing to be able to have this awakening that instills responsibility in you, that you have to take ownership of your life. You cannot just be just a person who is coerced and brainwashed and persuaded into thinking these things because the rest of the people think these way. That, uh, that is just not okay. You have to be a free thinker and you have to leave space for doubt and you have to leave space for questioning. Even all of the stuff that we've said over the last hour, question it all. Do your own research. Think about it. Study it. If this is something that actually interests you and you want to actually be a part of society in the positive direction, you have to think about this stuff and you have to be a participant in your own life. And that means making decisions, hard decisions on um, these sorts of issues, whether you lose friends over it or not. And, uh, and I think that's important. So good point there, Josh. Yeah, I think the, the moral of the story and uh, the biggest takeaway is that there's always going to be hatred in, in life in general for whichever group of people you most uh, associate yourself with, whether you're um, in a community that maybe is, is more driven towards your religious beliefs or maybe your cultural background or maybe even your interests. There's always going to be hate, but the, the best way, and I think really the, the only way is to really fight it with just absolute unity and you got to fight it with, with facts and good goodwill win. And I think that the amount of stories I'm seeing that are coming out of this horrific, horrific event it brings me to tears thinking about it. I mean, I could just share with you a handful of, of accounts of what some remarkable, remarkable communities are doing outside, of course, the, uh, in Israel and, and America that are collecting supplies for first responders that are uh, providing babysitting services, haircut services, while the, those that typically do those jobs might be out fighting, but they're providing that for free. There have been, in my community here, in my synagogue, a number of drives to to get you know band-aids and sleeping bags and just anything that could help but even some some really really amazing stories i saw was that there was someone that stood in in jfk airport and basically any soldier that was coming back in america to go and fight in israel this person because you, you're essentially responsible which is kind of funny israel is asking you to fight in their war but you're responsible for paying for your own flight to get to israel to fight in that war which i find Kind of funny and pretty classic, uh, classic Israel. But these people, these these soldiers were going to the airport, and there is this one man 
who essentially said, if you show me your papers that you're fighting in this war against Hamas and against evil, I'll pay for your flight. And it's, it was, this is, was stated by one of the El Al um, stewardess, or I guess one of the, the count, people at the counter, that this individual paid for 250 tickets, just swiping his card for all these people from America or Israelis that were here that were looking to go and, and back into the army to fly. I mean, that's, that's probably half a million dollars, basically, that this person was just swiping and swiping um, and allowing these people to go for free and not have to worry about it. And there, there are other stories. There's in Israel, even when I was there, I mean, I was there right when this happened. And, and apart from being scared of going back and forth into the bomb shelters and the rockets, essentially the day after it happened, people were going to the blood banks because you heard of such the horrific, um, just the, the need for blood and the injured. And people were getting turned away from the blood banks because there were so many people there lined up, ready to donate blood. And I think that's just an amazing testament of what the Jewish people stand for, of going out instead of going and attacking other people and, and their beliefs, we're going and first respond and help and unify. And there are even there are more stories. One that I think is, is I guess I'll finish with this one, but such an incredible testament to, to just the people and the care we have for others that this rabbi heard um, that there was 6,000 um, families, or rather there was, this, there was this entire community that needed places to stay because they were being evacuated from their town. And he, he didn't think much of it. He was going to call. Maybe he was doing something. He called, I think it was 45 minutes later to see, okay, I heard that there's, there are these families that need to go and they need a place to stay because uh, they've been evacuated. And he called just 45 minutes after they made that announcement and the person said, sorry, all of them have already found places to stay. And to think that after just 45 minutes, they were able to find 6,000 people that were getting evacuated from all of these different towns, a place to eat, a place to stay. And people don't even, they don't even bat an eye. They'll do it and, and they'll take them in because there's this sense of immense responsibility and unity for just the sake of the growth of the Jewish people and the, and its existence and, and for, you know, God willing to continue to thrive, but continue to thrive in a culture that encourages diversity, a culture that embraces Christianity and embraces Islam and embraces all religions and all people. Um, and that, that's the culture that's going to thrive. And whether or not you believe in, in one way or the other way in this large, many, many thousands of years dispute over the land of Israel, you cannot deny that the Jewish people are unified. And of course, you know, we're going to win this battle against evil. Um, and, you know, God willing, whoever's listening to this, I hope that, you know, they can get inspired to just do a little bit extra, you know, for, for the, the case of, of good and for the Jewish people, uh, you know, in the future. Yes. Yes. Uh, I couldn't have said anything, uh, said anything better myself there, Josh. Beautiful. The Jewish people are, are strong and resilient and have overcome so much just to get to this point and we're definitely not going to stop now so yes sir thank you for speaking with me and uh i'm glad we're uh, we're a family we're on the same team and uh you know prayers for for everyone fighting um and struggling and suffering and hurt are injured or uh and just need of some hope for all of this um yeah prayers for that and uh thank you josh hopefully i can see you soon man 
Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you using your, your platform to, to spread these important messages. So thank you for having me on. Love you, man. Love you. Thank you for tuning in to that very important episode. And if you found that insightful or informative or important at all, please share it with your friends because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or a review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is through Patreon. Patreon directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through all the tiers, and see which one might work best for you. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.